The Shamrock is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Notre Dame ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. You can even find tickets to some of the great concerts at Notre Dame Stadium. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Shamrock, I'm Pete Sampson from the Notre Dame Coaches Box atop Wallace Wade Stadium. It's about midnight. Uh, joined by Matt Fortuna somewhere in Minnesota. You covered a game that uh, my notes say started at Noon. I don't know how you pronounce that. N O O N. Is that a start time for a game? Well, lo- local time, it was 11 a.m., even better. And it was <laughs> hilarious. Just like it rained when we got upstairs, it was dark out. I, I take forever to write my story. And then I'm like, I'm just in the mode that I normally am post game, which is usually a three thirty game or a night game. So I'm like, all right, let me just get a bite and go to bed. I'm like, wait, it's seven o'clock. Notre Dame didn't even like start yet. Like, uh, wow, I need a yeah. There's a lot to do today. This is awesome. Like, wh- what do I do with all this free time? So, and the game was freaking awesome, as was the environment and the atmosphere. So, uh, it was uh, just judging from afar. I think it was probably a little more electric than it was in Durham, but I'll let you speak to that. Yeah, no, uh, I was not invited into Brian Kelly's office after the game either, um, as apparently you were based <laughs> on your tweets. So I'm keeping my streak alive on that one. But yeah, I mean, Notre Dame, they, I thought it was a, I wrote this during the week that, you know, look, this was not a game where you're going to prove a lot. It's Duke. Um, I know it's on the road. I know it's at night, but Considering where they were against Virginia Tech, um, certainly where they were against Michigan, it's kind of a um, it's a long redemption road for this team after how they played in Ann Arbor in thirty eight seven. The defense definitely has snapped back into form. It's like sort of you know Clarkley is back to doing the things that Clarkley has done in every other game but Michigan since he's been here. And then this was to me by far the best I've seen Ian Book play all year. And I I mean I asked Brian Kelly about this after the game, basically like. Is that the best you've seen book in terms of standing in the pocket, going through his progressions? Uh, and he like sort of extended both arms, palms up, and was like, yes, this is like what we've been waiting for from, from our starting quarterback. Um, so they get it tonight, 18 of 32, 181, four touchdown passes, two picks, also rushed for 139 yards. Um, he looked like a guy who is progressing um, to sort of spin that the buzzword of regression in a different way. Um, I, I just thought it, it was a Notre Dame team that looked like they can and probably will win their last three games, and that's not something I felt at all after the Virginia Tech game. Yeah, that would be my biggest takeaway from afar as well. And, you know, I only got to really see the second half of the game, and I only got up to my hotel room for the end of the game where I was able to get the game on iPad, my iPad with sound. And, uh you know, just listen to the broadcast late in the game. They said a lot of the same things you just did, which was essentially like, this is the Ian Book that Notre Dame uh, has wanted to see it. And he looked like the the guy who's gotten better year over year, the, the quarterback they were hoping they would get this season. And uh, just reading the box scores, seeing some of the highlights, 
Uh, seeing some of the historical significance with, with the numbers he put up tonight. Uh, definitely a step in the right direction. And like you said, uh, I wouldn't say they have nothing to play for. I mean, I think a, a New Year's Six Bowl is not nothing, and that's a very real possibility out here uh, with three games left. I did not think they looked like a New Year's Six team coming out of last week. Obviously, not at all the week before when they lost to Michigan. But I think, you know, when you're playing a Duke, when you're playing a BC, I think Navy might be a little bit different story because Navy's a really good football team. But when you're playing these mediocre to good or not so good teams, uh, you want to look like the number 15 in the co- number 15 team in the country. You want to look like a team that is playing for one of those New Year's Six Bowls and uh, to run up and down Duke and dominate defensively and overwhelm them the way they did tonight, um, I think showed us an Notre Dame team that we had seen a lot earlier this season. Um, and restore a little bit of, of peace of mind and faith and hope and whatever your buzzword is that, yes, this team – uh, as stated many times, probably should, and in this case, after watching night, I think probably will uh, run the table from here on out of the regular season and get to ten and two and see where the chips fall as far as where they end up finally ranked ranked in the final rankings and, and what kind of bowl that gets them. Yeah, at least be nine and two when you go to Stanford. Um, you know, there's some trickiness out there. It's not a place Notre Dame has won since Brian Kelly's been the head coach. So, but you know, just close out the home slate with with those two wins have another year undefeated at home um and then see what you got when you go to stanford it's but i i just really liked sort of books poise in the pocket really from the very beginning of the game and i asked brian kelly this after the game like is it is it too much to look at that 26 yard completion to claypool at the end of the virginia tech game where he just stood in there and ripped it as like all right this is like this is what you are you can be this quarterback who makes this kind of throw and he's like you know, a, a yes and no. Like, no, if we lose the game, if he, you know, fumbles the snap on the on the QB sneak and time runs out, then, like, who cares about the 26-yard play? But because they won and could build off it, then it can, it can be something significant. So it's um, – I thought that, that was good stuff there. I You know, overall, you sacked once. Uh, they run for 288 yards despite starting two backup offensive linemen. Uh, Trevor Rulin got a hold that wiped out – must have been like a – 85 yard play to Chris Fink um and it was yeah it was just a I thought the the line was much better than I thought I I did not think that they were going to come in and handle a you know a, a pretty below average Duke linebacker group but a, an above average defensive line and they did, I thought they did a really nice job um especially you know taking advantage of, of Duke's defensive structure with the quarterback run game um you know, Chase Claypool, five for 97, uh, Chris Fink, five for 49 and two touchdowns. And, you know, Brian Kelly said after the game, like he felt like they were very well prepared by Chip Long and the staff too, pointing out that the Claypool touchdown against a all out blitz, they practice again at like 15 reps during the, during the week. Um, so it was no problem to execute it. And it was, I, I don't know. I, I just felt like Notre Dame looked like a well-coached dialed in football team and you know you mentioned sort of that nothing to play for um you know something I'll be writing about quite a bit tonight is the captain's going to the coaching staff this week and saying we want the practices that felt I think probably in some ways punitive after the Michigan game to sort of keep up that level of intensity that was the kind of that's the kind of work they want to put in for the rest of the season if and if your players are are advocating for that, I think that's that's really one of the best signs that you have a team that um, not just 
not that they just don't feel like they have something to play for. They have something they want to practice for. And, you know, not every team can say that. Not every Notre Dame team can say that over the years. So that's, to me, that's significant. They're going to need to be sharp these last three games. They're going to be big favorites. And again, yeah, I, <laughs> we have a different version of this conversation every week. After Virginia Tech, I'm thinking, oh, God, who are they going to beat left? And after today, <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, of course they're going to beat Navy and BC and, and Stanford. Uh, Navy's a really good team. The, uh, for all you ACC conspiracy theorists out there, Navy is com- going to be playing, coming off a of bye and really 15 game, 15 days off, uh, days off because they played UConn on Friday, if you consider UConn a real football team, in which case they're coming with 22 days off between games uh, before they play Notre Dame, and that's a good football team. So, uh, And obviously a, a different kind of team to prepare for. Boston College, uh, they're also coming off a bye, and they're playing for a bowl berth, and I don't think it's a stretch to say at this point they're playing for their coach's job. I don't think Steve Adazio is going to keep his job if they don't uh, qualify for a bowl game, and they go at Notre Dame and at Pittsburgh to close their season out. Um, I think one of those games is easier than others, but uh, obviously a lot on the line for the Eagles in those games. And Stanford as well might also be playing for a bowl. Uh, they lost at Colorado today, which is not a good loss. Uh, they're four and five. They've got at Washington State and Cal before Notre Dame. Um, let's just say they split them for argument's sake. I don't know. Maybe they win both. But five and six Stanford going to Notre Dame. And look, I, I say we talk about, a lot about motivation and, and what these guys have to play for and so forth. I'm not accusing these particular teams of anything, but we've seen cases in the past where teams want their seasons to end. They're just not going well. So, I, yeah. I mean, in some ways, maybe five and six Stanford is better because it's a miserable year. Let's let's pull the plug on this one, restart next year, and that's that. I mean, SI had a story uh, earlier this year on last year's Virginia Tech team quoting players basically saying, uh, we did not want to win our last game. We wanted the season to end. We did not want the season to extend into bowl season. Um, I, I think that's an extreme case, but – Obviously, that's stuff that kids think about at certain programs. And, uh, you know, that, that motivation factor, that what's left to play for factor can, can work a number of different ways. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're very hyper-analyzing uh, these three upcoming opponents right now because of the fact that uh, Notre Dame is better, more talented, better coach, at least this year. Uh, and yet, you know, a game like last week against Virginia Tech, who looked really good today, by the way, uh, shows that these guys are not immune to anything and that um the difference between nine and three and ten and two is a pretty big one yeah it's maybe the difference between a fumble at your own goal line that's returned 98 yards for a touchdown which is what happened against virginia (laughs) tech um you know for notre dame's case you're already down tommy kramer and robert hainsey for the season uh julian okwara exits tonight in the first half with an ankle injury i had uh, a source tell me that they the the fear is that it's broken and he's done for the season. And, and if that's true, if that's sort of what the x-rays bear out tomorrow on Sunday, um, that's a significant loss for Notre Dame. Um, you know, maybe less so against Navy, um, you know, but certainly against Boston College and Stanford, that's that's real stuff. I mean, that that's what gets you. I mean, they'll, they'll be down arguably their best offensive – well, not arguably – inarguably their best offensive lineman and their best defensive lineman going into the final three games of the season. That's, that's something that they're going to have to overcome. I mean, they're, they're already also down Dalen Hayes. So it's, um, they're running out of bodies there. You know, Braden Lindsay didn't travel tonight. I believe he had a concussion, stayed home. Um, they're sort of thin at the receiver positions. They're finally healthy at running back. Um, you know, some variety at tight end tonight. So it's, um, Notre Dame is, they're, you know, I'm in the press box here, and I, I don't know how much you watch of Alabama LSU. It does 
it does feel like they're playing a different sport sometimes when you see how much speed is on the field and how much just overwhelming talent there is. Notre Dame is P- not. P- P- P. That's Nick Saban's second loss in this calendar year <laughs> oh, yeah. by a pretty decisive fashion to, to a ranked team, and I'm pretty sure the only ranked teams Alabama has played. So I'm sure in Tuscaloosa they're burning him at the stake. Maybe they'll hire Brian Kelly after Notre Dame fires him, and then maybe Notre Dame can hire P.J. Fleck uh, because, it, it, believe it or not, <laughs> Notre Dame's not the only big program that loses big games. Yeah, well, I, I, thank you for updating me on this. Um, my, my, I mean, my point was just basically that, like, look, Notre Dame for how well they played tonight, they're they're not going to overwhelm anyone with talent the rest of the season. Um, they're they're not they are not a team that is beyond the margin for error to lose at Stanford or BC at Navy um, in the same way they weren't against Virginia Tech a week ago. So it's. But if they are preparing and practicing the way that they seem to have this week based on talking to the players and coaches, then then I like their chances. Um, you know, we've done a lot of podcasts after the reaction where it's like, oh, I can't – like, I think you mentioned this already. Like, I can't see them winning out. Or like, well, they're definitely going to go 11-1 and one now. Um, this was definitely one of the good Notre Dame performances where you feel like, all right, 10-2 and, 10 and two is probably going to be in the cards. And that – for how disappointing the Michigan game was for Notre Dame as a program and how many Notre Dame fans I think sort of – either checked out or just were like, ah, I, I just need a break. We like, we got to take a break guys. Um, tonight was one to like, Oh, okay. Bring you back a little bit. Cause there was a, it was a very professional, uh, mature performance. On the subject of defensive linemen, I'm uh, standing outside the golden Gophers locker room and mid all the delirium uh, of the field storm and uh, people running up and down going crazy. And who do I see carrying an alum on his back? Uh, chanting and going crazy, but our old friend Micah Du Treadway, who I believe is now a captain for the undefeated Golden Gophers, who are going to be in the top ten when it's released Tuesday, maybe even top five. I mean, they're the only undefeated team that's beaten a top five team other than LSU over Alabama today. Uh, but you know, I'll, I'll piggyback off your earlier point about watching uh, Alabama LSU. <laughs> this is going to sound harsh, but I, I mean, having seen all these teams up close, I'm going to say it. Watching Minnesota Penn State looked like a different sport, not necessarily one through twenty two. Uh, where I think, you know, Notre Dame matches up well with both those teams. It, it, you know, I'd give them as good a shot as any to win. But uh, Minnesota's wide receivers are, are yeah. out of this world. Penn State's the- wide receivers are out of this world. Like, we're talking about Minnesota and Penn State here. We're not talking about Michigan and Ohio State. Like, these are – well, Penn State traditionally is upper-tier big team. But Minnesota, which just went 9-0 and for the first time in 115 years uh, – I mean, they've they've got some of the best receivers in the country, and those guys are absolute dudes. And all the credit of the world, Chase Claypool, all the credit of the world, Cole Komet. But like, it's still hard to watch Notre Dame sometimes, and and not wonder like, wait, where's everyone else? Like, what, what? How does how does this happen? Like, where 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 are these playmakers? And you know, I'm sure, yeah, I did see everything tonight, so I'm speaking a little bit out of turn. But uh, I mean, that first quarter, Penn State, Minnesota, which were two of the top 13 defenses in the country entering today were just lighting things up with big play after big play. And it was really exciting. Yeah. It's, I watched pretty almost all of the Penn state, Minnesota game. And I, I agree. I was watching Minnesota's receivers thinking like, why doesn't Notre Dame have receivers like Minnesota? And I mean that like in a, as a compliment to Minnesota, um, they look really athletic and uh, Notre Dame is, is thin. I mean, they, they're, Fink had a very good game tonight, but beyond that, it's it's Komet and Claypool, and that's that's kind of it. Um, Jafar Armstrong has not clicked on. Um, you know, Jameer Smith did a couple good things tonight. Had a forty-yard run. Sebo Flemister, okay. Um, you know, had 
25 yards tonight and a touchdown. But Notre Dame is just not going to overwhelm you with offensive skilled talent right now. And that, that makes as good as their defense is, um, that makes it difficult to run away and just pound people into submission. Um, they were able to do it against Duke, but it's kind of one of those reasons why the, the last three games there, it feels like they're going to be in at least one more Virginia tech style game where something fluky goes wrong. Uh, and then the offense has to, has to really deliver. And it's like, I think even, I think Fink said it after the game tonight, referencing like, look, we don't want to be in games where we have to ask the defense to do everything. Um, and you know, Brian Kelly said it as well. Like the defense has been really good. The offense has been sort of fits and starts almost all year. So it's, um, they got it. They really, I'm not sure what the solution is on offense. Like I don't, I can't sit here and say like, well, they need to coach it better or game plan it better or get healthier. Um, I think they just are who they are on offense. Um, if book plays like he did tonight, then I think they'll be fine, but, um, they're not going to overwhelm you with just raw ability the way that, um, Alabama and LSU do or Minnesota's wide receivers. I can't even believe we're talking about this, but I mean, they were really good. Um, Notre Dame doesn't really have a, a wealth of those guys. Once you get past the the top two players, then it's just sort of guys right now, and they need they need more from that group. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to deliver it this season. And that same token, I'm just looking at the box score now. It did not again see the game from start to finish. But I ask you, Tony Jones, seven carries, 14 yards. Jafar Armstrong, three carries, 13 yards. Uh, were they just not part of the game plan? Were they banged up? What? Why? Why is it this dynamic duo running back tandem that we've heard so much about uh, doing really anything? Yeah, it was. I don't know. It was kind of hard to make sense of it. They, they Ian Book kept it on quarterback runs, like mm-hmm. with the RPO scheme, way more than he has, I think, all season, um, and had some huge gains out of it. Um, I part of me thinks that Chip Long was like, look. We got Josh Lug and uh, Trevor Rulin out there. Let's just try to pass it a little bit more sure. um, and see what happens. Uh, I trust my quarterback more than maybe I trust like this new offensive line with two new starters to run the ball and execute stuff. Um, I think that, that probably had something to do with it. But I mean, it you know Tony Jones is an example of it. He's he's a good college player, but you watch Penn State's running backs and think like, wow, that's just like a different cut of athlete there. Um, so that's, it sort of gets back to like Notre Dame is good offensively. Um, they're better than I think Twitter or message boards would have you believe, but they're not an offense. that's going to just blow you away with raw material. Uh, and that, that certainly includes that running back. I mean, it's like, again, Notre Dame's running backs are a former Missouri commitment as a wide receiver. Um, a, you know, Tony Jones, a senior who wasn't really recruited uh, by a lot of the elite schools, some. Sebo Flemisser was once committed to Georgia Southern, and Jameer Smith is a kid from North Carolina who um, was sort of choosing between Notre Dame and Northwestern. Um, you know, that's you know, Ian Book was once committed to Washington State. Like these guys, I think are giving Notre Dame everything that they can, but um, you can't ask their running backs to suddenly play play like J.K. Dobbins. Like that, it doesn't work that way. Um, you know, the same way you can't ask the receivers to be. Uh, you know, Devontae Smith and um, Waddle, Jalen Waddle, like they, they don't don't have that raw material uh, ability. So it's, I think, to put 38 points on Duke, who's not terrible defensively, is it was a good it was a good performance from them tonight. I think Ian Book was 
the ESPN stat is the first player in Notre Dame history with four passing touchdowns and 100 yards rushing in a game. And it wasn't it wasn't one of those things where they ran book because they were out of ideas. I think we've all covered games where the quarterback runs 15 times because the offensive coordinator can't figure out what the heck to do. Um, this was more by design, and they knew it going in. So it's uh, I got to give Chip Long credit for for getting a lot out of a, an offensive roster that is just sort of pretty good. Yeah, the uh, the Notre Dame notes as well said that, and uh, also mentioned that Ian Book was the uh, only he and Brady Quinn have, have thrown for four more touchdown passes in a game on four different occasions, and Quinn did that seven times. So still time for Ian Book to, to catch him up, catch up on him. Uh, would it surprise you, Pete, that after I filed my story on PJ Fleck, I had not one but multiple mentions from Notre Dame fans saying, "Why don't we have the guts to fire Brian Kelly and hire this man? Let's go get him. Why do they?" Well, USC can't afford that buyout, but we can. Yeah. Can you imagine gonna, row the, bo- the Row the Boat logo underneath, like, the Golden Dome or the, the lock, Interlocked ND or the lepre- the Leprechaun saying – I mean, the possibilities would be endless, I'll say that. Yeah, they really would. Um, I mean, they have the lakes. You could get a little rowing competition out there. Um, you know, they just built a new boathouse uh, close to campus. There you go. It's it a very nice facility. So perhaps well, there's... Row the boat sport. versus burn the boats, which has been their mantra in a couple yeah. of different seasons. I mean, I That'll guess I'm... Something. You know, PJ Flag is interesting because he has won one game of consequence this year, and it was a big one today, but I don't know, like... Notre Dame fans, I think, are sort of skipping over the squeaker against Fresno State and South Dakota State. Um, like, I'm not saying he's not a really good coach, but I think I'd like to see that a few more years, um, at least one more year, before I'd be like, yes, P.J. Fleck, this guy is the real deal. Um, he's done a great job. I'm not going to take that away from him, but it's, you know, Notre Dame's sitting here at 15th in the country. Uh, they were in the playoff last year. They won 10 games the year before that. They'll win 10 games this year, too. Like, I think stuff's going okay right now. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully for everyone's sanity, including the uh, mentions in my mailbag, like tonight sort of turned down the temperature on everything because I think people were sort of losing their minds. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I'm definitely a P.J. Fleck believer after today. I mean, I did not think they really stood much of a chance in this game. Uh, and, you know, even if they did lose today, I mean – Eight one at Minnesota, take mm-hmm. Western freaking Michigan to the Cotton Bowl. I mean, the guy knows what he's doing, whether you like him or not, and he's way ahead of schedule uh, here in Minneapolis. He did have a pretty – I mean, everything he says is, is interesting relative to everyone else in his profession, but, uh, you know, he had a very impassioned kind of plea at the podium. I mean, it was a question about – I don't even remember what the question was about, but he gives a long answer, and part of that answer is, you know, he goes, you know what, I know I might be a little bit different, but I don't know how different I really am. I don't see what you see, but just maybe, just maybe, our row the boat different might be the way, and maybe we're just ahead of the game. End quote. And I, you know, I, I pressed him on that a little bit when I was with him in his office after, and it, I said, "Do you think? Do you hope more coaches start running their programs this way?" And he said, "I do, because with the NIL and this and that and everything else coming and the money, uh, I just think we're getting, you know, you're going to have to have something because." Otherwise, this thing is a turn to the NFL and profession, the professional age of collegiate athletics. And, you know, what, what are you really building here? And I don't know, it's just an interesting way to, 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 to look at things. And I, I say that all as a long way of saying uh, Notre Dame is not firing Brian Kelly. There is nothing, no discussion to be had. We're wasting our breath with all this. I think it would be a pretty interesting discussion, however, if 
Brian Kelly was on the brink of retirement or resigning or, or getting fired because I do think, you know, this guy's PJ Fleck is one of the hottest names on the market. I know he signed an extension earlier this week, but, but, you know, let's face it, people who want, who have money and want someone will pony up and, and get who they want. Uh, Notre Dame is one place that's not hurting for cash, but no, Brian Kelly's safe. He's not going anywhere. I do think, you know, if the, the, the stars aligned in a year where Notre Dame was looking for a head coach and, and this guy was out there. Uh, it would be pretty fun and interesting to imagine, like how Notre Dame could talk its way into or out of that. I I'm with you in that regard. Like I would like to know, two years down the road, let's say Brian Kelly retires, or you know, it's just sort of like you know what I've thanks. Um, you know, it's been a good twelve year run at that point. Um, you know, P.J. Fleck may still be at Minnesota at that point. I mean, he's certainly going to be there in 2020. Um, and it sounds like, you know, maybe in 2021. But it, um, I don't know. It. He's in, the more I read, you are know him way better than I do. Um, but I always sort of see saw him as more of like a carnival barker. Like there's a little too much show and not enough um, substance. But I don't know. Maybe I'm coming around on that. Like, if the substance is beating Penn State at home, like that's a hell of a lot of substance. It wasn't a fluky win either. I mean, they looked like the better team for yeah. most of the game. In fact, the way it played out, it would have been a bad loss because they looked like the better team and should should have won this game. Uh, look, I mean, you're not. Everyone says what you said, right? He's a carnival barker. He's these weird sticks. He's not for everyone. I like carnivals. Like, <laughs> look, he'll be the first to tell you he's not for everyone, and like. It's very easy to see, like, why some people in his profession don't like him. He's that different. He's that rah-rah in your face. He reminds me a lot of a really good college basketball coach, though, who just really understands, like, the key to success is your players. And the key to your players is recruiting your players to an environment where uh, you enjoy coming to work every day. I mean, I've been in side team meetings of his, both at Western Michigan and at Minnesota. And, I mean, it's, like, just short of, like, a wolf of Wall Street, like, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio pump you up speech. Like everyone is just engaged. You know, there aren't guys falling asleep in the back, like pretending to take notes. I mean, he, he, he has that energy that he brings every day. Uh, and he's won and he's won big at places that have not experienced winning big in any of our lifetimes. Um, that said, I do, you know, it would be very interesting to see if and when he does move on somewhere, like does, it's hard to picture like a row the boat logo or insignia underneath a Notre Dame or USC logo. If that makes sense. Yeah. I think he's been at places where like, he's been at two places where he's the brand. Mm -hmm. Like what's Minnesota football. I don't, I I don't know. Um, What's Western Michigan football. I I have no idea what it is. Notre Dame football is like, Notre Dame is the brand. Like you fit into Notre Dame. Um, You know, it's like when Brian Kelly got here, Notre Dame football was broken and, Brian Kelly just like sort of broke a few more things to try to fix it for the long haul. And it took a while and there's a lot of fits and starts. And um, you could argue that it took longer to understand that it, than it needed to. But uh, ultimately, like he had to win within the context of Notre Dame. Like what's the context of winning at Western Michigan and Minnesota? I have no freaking idea on that. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that he would be interesting. Like he, he definitely would not be sort of first on my list. And I don't think I've ever even mentioned his name. You know, when right. people ask, like, who would be, you know, you spent some time with Matt Rule, uh, Matt Campbell. I think those are two guys who are pretty interesting to me. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, the way things are going, if Notre Dame wins out, if they win 
uh, a bowl game, whether it's the Camping World Bowl or the Cotton Bowl, to finish 11-2, and two, like, I would expect that very soon after that, Brian Kelly will have a four-year contract extension, three-year contract extension. It's, it's been talked about for a while. I don't know yeah. what's I think that's like up, Notre Dame's going to have to, like, make a move on that after the season because you don't want – if they don't, then we're going to spend time next year talking about Brian Kelly's contract extension with Brian Kelly, uh, and that's – you know that's not a great place to be either. So it's these are, you know, for for the the knocks on Brian Kelly, and I understand them about not winning big games on the road against ranked teams, which, are, which is very hard to do. Um, just for the record, um, they don't lose games like this anymore either. Uh, and I know Notre Dame fans have sort of complain. You hear complaints about like, well, they went eight and five three or four times, and what about twenty sixteen? And I'm just like, that really that doesn't matter anymore. Um, they're They've sort of moved beyond that. Like I sort of judge Brian Kelly in in where where he is moving forward on the last three years, and that's it. Like what happened in 2011 is irrelevant at this point. What happened in 2016, I don't think matters anymore. So I, yeah, I, I guess this is a long way to say if PJ Flex probably going to be moving on from Minnesota before Brian Kelly's moving on from Notre Dame. I'll do you one better. I mean, look at the team he beat today. Uh, like I think, I think James Franklin, uh, you know, our colleague Bruce Alba has really been begging the drum on this, but I'm I'm with him in saying I think James Franklin's when you take the total package, recruiting, program leader, et cetera, is a top five coach in college football right now. Uh, like, do you want to be eight and zero and then lose a game like this and have all the air come out of your your, your balloon this late in the season and then got to go to Ohio State in two weeks? I mean, they went from oh my God, they're fourth. They're in the top four of the playoff rankings, too. This guy doesn't know what he's doing on game days very quickly. Uh, and there was a lot of the old familiar tropes about him coming out late in the game because of some of the play calling, because of their two-minute offense, and because, uh, frankly, they've lost a lot of close games. I'm not saying they should have won this one, although it was there for the taking. Uh, but, I mean, look, Penn State fans right now are very upset with James Franklin, and he doesn't have the, the total body of work or length that, that Brian Kelly does at Notre Dame. He hasn't made a playoff yet, but he's won a Big Ten title. He's recruited his ass off, and he's done as well as I think anyone could possibly expect him to do there. Uh, but, you know, again, it, there's one team that's happy at the end of the year. That's it. <laughs> and uh, that means even Alabama or Clemson is going to be upset at, at the end of most years because the other one's going to win it. And I know it's a lot easier to take when you have multiple – championship rings on your fingers the way those two coaches of those programs have but um you know our society is very very reactionary i mean some people even you know have post-game podcasts minutes after a game ends and start talking about all this stuff i I don't know who would do such a thing other than me and you but uh (laughs) it's it is what it is right i mean you got to stop talking about 2016 you got to stop talking about 2011 even the good stuff from 2012 and 2015 i mean last three years this notre dame program under brian kelly uh, is really, really good. It's not the best in the country. It's probably not one of the four best in the country, but it's it's close. Yeah, I think that's – if you want to say Notre Dame sort of hit a ceiling a little bit. And by the way, as we bring up 2011, for some reason the monitor where I'm doing this is replaying the 2011 Champs Sports Bowl between Notre Dame and Florida State, which wow. is now suddenly very distracting. Um, yeah, I mean, I, there's an How, argument. That was like two hours ago for Florida State, by the way. Yeah. Like, that's before they got good under Jimbo and then got bad and then had another coach and then fired that coach. Yeah, I remember how miserable Notre Dame was leaving that game and like, oh, played in the national championship game the next year. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just, there is an argument that 
Notre Dame has hit a bit of a ceiling with Brian Kelly, and I, and I get that. And like tonight isn't going to move that up or down because um, you know whether they whether they can go above and beyond that. They they may not get an opportunity to to show that at all the rest of this year. I mean that that the next moment for that might be Lambeau Field against Wisconsin or Clemson in a year from now in South Bend. So it's going to be a minute before you can sort of move off the Brian Kelly can't win a big game on the road or, you know, the, the game where you're an underdog. Um, but there's a lot to be said for just winning 10 games and beating everyone that you should. And I think Notre Dame's in a, in a good spot right now after uh, an apoplectic spot against Michigan just a couple weeks ago. Strange, strange season. I feel like every, you know, it's, it's, it hasn't been the most exciting season. You know, they had won a really big game and they lost it. And, you know, the, the playoff was off the table since then. And, We've kind of taken it week by week as a podcast, but uh, <laughs> it, it's just been a strange season. I mean, last week, it's, oh, my God, they won, but what what the hell's going on? And today it's, hey, look, there's that known quantity we, we, we knew or we thought we knew, and they're going to go 10-2 and two again. Uh, I, 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 I don't know what to make of this team. They're, they're a good football team, probably not a great one. Should be 10-2. and two. Um, I think at this point it would be disappointing if they weren't, but they have – for whatever reasons, and we could delve into those later, we already have with some, there are some pretty severe limitations on this roster, and that's that. Yeah, that might be a good uh, Thursday bonus podcast for you. Maybe a little uh, bit of a recruiting bent about like why Notre Dame's roster looks the way that it looks overall. Um, yeah, I don't know. Unless you have some uh, parting shots or wisdom from your favorite head coach, P.J. Fleck, um, I, I think we're, we might be ready to wrap this podcast up. Yeah, I, I'm about ready to tap out after spending most of the day around him. Uh, so <laughs> I will uh, direct you to my story that's up right now in The Athletic inside the office of P.J. Fleck after the biggest win of his life at Minnesota. And uh, direct you to Pete's story, which has it been filed yet or it's going to be filed It hasn't even this? been written. Well, exactly. It's we have still to in this the making. Cop- I mean, we got to is- this, record this podcast for the people. The, the people demand the shamrock. If people demand the Shamrock. They demand Pete, Pete Sampson's post-game wraps of Notre Dame, which they can find some point. Well, it already is Sunday, but Sunday, <laughs> uh, The Athletic. And yeah. uh, I can't wait to read it as well. I'm I'm in the dark like all of you listeners. All right. Fantastic. We Thank you for building suspense over my uh, my recap of what happened here at Wallace Wade Stadium. And on that note. Can't wait to read who won. Yes. <laughs> on that note, we'll wrap up our uh, post-Notre Dame Duke reaction podcast. Uh, this You've been listening to The Shamrock. Thank you for uh, all your listeners. And, of course, you can rate, review, subscribe, uh, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back Thursday with our bonus episode for subscribers to The Athletic. So until then, I'm Pete Sampson, joined as always by Matt Fortuna. Thanks for listening.